0: gathering us in this place. Thank you for those that are gathering with us um, via Facebook and Zoom online. We thank you that they're with us as well. Lord, we have read your word. We have sung and worshiped. We have prayed. And now, God, we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would bring your word to life in our hearts, that you would speak to us, that you would guide us, That you would encourage us, you would excite us, that as we consider being changed into your likeness and being made to reflect your glory, that you would quicken your word to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. Transfiguration. I think this is one of the most ignored and unpreached things in scripture. (laughs) On Sundays, um, most of the pastors that I talk to uh, don't really like to preach about the Transfiguration for a number of reasons. Um, The Transfiguration and the Ascension are two of the places where we see the glory of God evident in Jesus Christ. But, you know, in the church calendar, they kind of always end up on a weekday, uh, (laughs) the way that it's structured. Only once every seven years or so do they end up on a Sunday morning uh, in the Scripture lessons and such. And uh, today is one of those days in the lectionary from the the Gospel of Luke. Uh, The Transfiguration ends up, just a little bit of background, it ends up in all three synoptic Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, And Luke happens to be the most descriptive of what happens. Matthew and Mark cover it, but Luke has some additional detail. Uh, that occurs in here as well. And before we get to the importance of the transfiguration for Jesus, for the disciples that were present, and for us, it's important that we get a little bit of background in the scriptures for what occurs just before the transfiguration in the scriptural account. There's three things that happen before the transfiguration that help to... uh, sort of cast the transfiguration in the proper light to help us understand it. The first thing is Peter's great confession, right? So Peter, who goes from, you know, wonderful, saying glorious things to putting his foot in his mouth more than once (laughs) in uh, his relationships with Jesus and others, uh, he he answers the question of Jesus, right? Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And then some of his his, um, disciples say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say one of the prophets of old that is risen. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And then you know what Peter says. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Boom, right? Mic drop. (laughs) The other disciples are like, come on, Peter. You just made us look bad, (laughs) or probably not. But you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Um, Christ means the same thing as Messiah, right? The prophesied one, Um, the son of the living God. The Christ and the son of the living God are not the same thing. They're two things that are prophesied about that are coming together in Jesus. And Peter is saying you no, you are the Christ, you are the prophesied one, you are the one that was spoken about, that's the descendant of David to be placed on a throne that will never pass away. When Peter made this confession, he was making, finally, the correct confession about who Jesus is. Uh, you know, this is not the definition of the Messiah that the Jewish community was anticipating. They were thinking someone was going to come in and save the people and set up a strong kingdom and throne of power and drive out the Romans, and Jesus is coming to die. At the end of this transfiguration, we read that he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. He knew where he was headed. The second thing that we need to grab onto before we look at the transfiguration, and it's in Luke chapter 9, if you want to follow along, I'm taking it right, the scripture's leading right into this transfiguration account. Uh, right after the right after Peter makes this great confession, Jesus begins to tell his disciples about what's coming next. Right? And I'm I'm gonna read it. He says. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. The fact that the Messiah was going to be killed. right Jesus just said, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And now Jesus says, and I'm going to be killed and raised on the third day. This blows the water out of the understanding of what the Messiah was going to be of the day. And Jesus is turning things on their heads, just like he always does. Um, It was prophesied, right? The suffering servant, we read about it in scripture. It was prophesied that Jesus was going to suffer and die. um, But that part was not understood to be in conjunction with the Messiah at that time. That Rule and reign, yes, but not by way of death on the cross. So then, the third thing that we have to look at, besides Peter's confession and Jesus' explanation about the road ahead, uh, is that Jesus pretty much redefines what discipleship is. Okay, we throw that word around, discipleship. We're supposed to be disciples who make disciples, right? Uh, Jesus goes on, and in my Bible it's all in red letters here, starting at chapter 9, verse 23, and he says this, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Luke is the only version that says daily, (laughs) right, indicating that it's something that we have got to do regularly. We don't just do it once. It's a moment-by-moment decision. It's get up in the morning and how are we going to live our lives? It's daily. Um, rather than indulge ourselves, we're supposed to deny. Starting to sound like Lent, huh? <laughs> right? Uh, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So Jesus is redefining discipleship. He's saying, deny yourself, lose yourself, and be saved. Not the other way around. If we're honest, people would probably rather indulge themselves than deny themselves. I don't know, maybe you can identify with that. Do you ever indulge yourself rather than deny yourself? Uh, Jesus is very clear right up front with the cost of discipleship, right? Peter makes this confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and then Jesus says, yeah, and I'm gonna be killed and raised, and if you're going to follow me, this is what it's going to take. Boom, 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 and then mount of transfiguration. It's really incredible uh, if you look at it in that, in that lens. If you're going to be my disciples, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me daily. It's necessary for us to die to ourselves, right? Die to our own honor Die to our own reputation, our own plans, our own pride, our own need to be right and everybody else be wrong. Jesus is sold out to the Father and he calls us to be sold out to him. So now we come to transfiguration, right? Um, Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray. Uh, Prayer was really important to Jesus. If you look in the biblical record of the times that Jesus went up on a mountain or withdrew to pray, it was usually right before something really significant was about to happen. It was either some amazing miracle that he was going to perform, or some major shift was about to occur in his life, uh, in the lives of the disciples. Uh, But he was also modeling to his disciples that prayer is really important. Uh, You know, at one point, after Jesus came down from the mountain to pray, it was at that point that his disciples said to him, teach us to pray. And then we got the Lord's Prayer, (laughs) which we say every Sunday. And, um, you know, in many respects, Jesus was probably teaching us how to pray. Uh, It's fine to say the words, but you really break that down and look at that. It's a way to pray. But that's another sermon for another time. (laughs) Um. Uh, <clears throat> so Jesus heads up on right and as he's praying the appearance of his face is altered and his clothing becomes dazzling white other uh, translations say as bright as lightning you ever been close to a lightning strike mm-hmm. it's not just like wow Jesus you used bleach on your clothes it's I can't look at you, it's so bright, it's so amazing. Um, and so, he's there, right? And with him appear a couple of people, right? So let's, let's just work through this. This is chapter nine, um, starting in verse 29. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So we know that these people are all there. We know because of what Luke wrote, what they were talking about. Luke is the only gospel writer that tells us what they were actually talking about. And so you've got Moses and Elijah that are there. So Moses, why is he there? Great lawgiver of Israel, right? We just read about him a little bit in the Old Testament lesson today. Lawgiver of Israel, the Lord gives him the law, he hands it to the people, and he's the one that's leading Israel to the edge of the promised land. Uh, he's a really important figure in God's redemptive work up until that point. And now, what about Elijah, right? Elijah was regarded by the Jews as the greatest of the prophets. Okay, so you have got Moses and Elijah. Uh, It's interesting to note uh, in that Elijah and Elisha didn't actually write anything down. Uh, They were before the times of writing stuff down. It was was verbal dictation through which this was all passed. Um, So Elijah articulated in his work the will and purpose of God. So you've got Moses, the lawgiver, lawbringer, Elijah, the will and purpose of God, meeting with Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, on the Mount of Transfiguration. So, they were talking to him about his departure at Jerusalem. Departure. (laughs) Right? Sounds like a bus station. It's not, right? We're talking about uh, the original word there, departure, it actually is... Uh, exodus, which means exodus in the English, which means uh, a moving on or a bringing out from or being taken out of one situation and placed into another situation. So Moses and Elijah are meeting with Jesus. If you think about those two guys, remember their lives. Do you remember anything about their deaths? Their deaths were pretty amazing, right? Moses is buried by God on the mountain. So no one would know where his body was. So he gets buried by God himself. And Elijah gets caught up, right, in a fiery chariot in front of everybody. Wow. (laughs) Right? Um, And so, these two are talking with Jesus. And after this conversation, after God's glory appears, right, and they're all glorified, they're all having this God glory moment, and um, they're shining and they're just ablaze like white lightning, Jesus sets his face like flint to Jerusalem. Nothing is going to deter him from completing what God the Father has sent him to do. And the disciples saw his glory, it says, So you've got eyewitnesses to what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. I just want to flip over to John chapter one with you briefly. This is the same John, okay, that wrote the gospel of John from which we read on uh, Christmas Eve and the Sunday after Christmas. And John says in chapter one, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He's saying, I saw it. He's not just waxing poetic. He's like, I was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and I saw this go down, and it was incredible. And Peter later writes about the glory that he saw. And it even goes on to describe being on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus when it all went down. So you've got eyewitnesses to this. Um, So what did this all mean to Jesus? Right? What did why did Jesus have to have this transfiguration? What's the big deal? You know, after this point, his ministry is a little bit different. He's on the final road to Jerusalem. When is the last time we heard the voice of God um, coming down from heaven in the life of Jesus? At his baptism, right? So at his baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus starts his ministry, right? The first thing that happens is he's tempted by Satan in the desert, right? Um, And now again, a major shift in his life and in his ministry. This is my son, you guys, not one of three that you should build huts for. Um, Pay attention. Things are changing. I think Peter was just overcome by all the glory. You know, (laughs) he sees all these, all this glory. He sees the three up there. It's Moses. It's Elijah. How did Peter know that it was Moses and Elijah? He wasn't there when they were alive before somehow revealed, somehow was obvious. Um, So to Jesus, this is really, really key because Jesus is equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He is the Word made flesh. As we talked about at his baptism, the Father affirmed who Jesus is and where he was headed. And the Father again affirms who Jesus is and where he is headed. When Christ came, scripture tells us that he emptied himself of his Father's glory. He did not empty himself of his deeds